Welcome to the Raising Confident Teens podcast, where we teach life and leadership skills to teens and their parents. I'm your host, Rachel Murphy, and today I am joined by Jenna. How are you doing, Jenna? Good. I'm tired. Yeah. For the most part, yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. Jenna found out today that she's got to get her tonsils and her adenoids out, so... (laughs) It's good news and it's bad news because it will help her a lot because she... She has very, very swollen tonsils, but I'm sure you guys don't want to hear all that. So most of us are gearing up for the start of school, and it's so different than it has ever been before. So today on our podcast, we've asked Jill Wolf to join us. For over 27 years, Jill has examined learning through every educational lens, and her conclusion, we need to help students get better at learning. She's worked with many students who claim studying doesn't work, and many others who find their straight A's are in jeopardy because their current skills aren't sufficient. As a result, most of these students lose confidence in themselves as learners and spiral downhill if there is no intervention. As a result, her mission has become to help students get better at learning. Thanks for joining us today, Jill. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. You have a program that teaches students to become better learners. Could you tell us a little more about what that means? Yeah, I'd love to. Learning and its basic components. So if you distill learning down, you have three things happening. You have the learning experience, A. You have the learner making meaning, B. And when you add those up, they equal C, which is understanding. So it's a little bitty algebra problem there, A plus B equals C which Jenna, I'm sure you've seen those kind of problems before, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so the learning experience is what's designed by the teacher. And that happens, it used to happen in the classroom. Now it's going to be happening virtually through Zoom, through Blackboard, Google Docs, Google Classroom, any of the virtual tools that teachers have at their fingertips. And so they're going to be designing a learning experience for your child. B is the learner making meaning, and that's where the student is doing the studying. They are making sense of the ideas, whatever was uh, addressed, the topics and concepts and terminology that was expressed during the learning experience, and they are developing understanding. They are kind of building knowledge, if you will, and that adds up to understanding, and that understanding can then be assessed. And so what we have found for years, there's been an emphasis on what's happening in the learning experience. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of research and professional development and work with teachers on the instruction that they deliver and what they're setting up for their students in the classroom. And we've kind of set that second box, that B box of the learner making meaning, just kind of to the side. And it was assumed that students just kind of picked this up as they went along. Uh, but what we're realizing, they don't. And with this not being taught or not being addressed, we kind of leave students in a frustrated place as as tasks get harder and harder and harder. And then if they happen to have a teacher and a learning experience that's not at all what is good for them or helpful for them or even accessible for them, then they're really set up to never make any meaning or understanding, which means they're not, when it comes time for an assessment, they're not going to do well. So does that equation, that kind of little formula make sense? Right. So it's not just how good a teacher you are. The child also has to be able to um, make that, take what you've taught them and 
and grasp it for themselves in order to get the result that everybody's wanting. Yeah. The parents and the teachers. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times, and I'm sure we've all, every parent has been through a class where the teacher they had just didn't resonate. Whatever they were doing up front didn't, wasn't making sense to them, whether it was just a long, long-winded lecture or whether they were using tons of sports metaphors and you weren't a sports person, whatever they were doing as the learning experience didn't help you understand. And you had to figure it out yourself. And that's that second box. And so I found that my whole work, and that's where I've come in with uh, my program, is to then look at how do we help students get better, essentially, at learning by looking at what they do during studying. And for me, the way I do that is through learning tools. So can you give us an example of what you mean by learning tools? Oh, I'd love to. So um, Jenna, what do you do when you study? Um, I read over my notes and then I will like ask my, like, here's an example. Like Columbus sailed to America when? And I'll cover up the answer, and then I'll say the answer, 1942, and then I'll check. What year? (laughs) What did you say? Wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, Jenna. That's okay. 1492. There you go. You had the four numbers. They just were (laughs) not in order. (laughs) And then I'll check and see if my answer was correct to the question. And, like, it helps me to remember like what it was okay so what what jen has just described is when she sits down to study she rereads notes and then there's some actual action that she does with the notes so reread notes you can kind of those are those are two separate things going on there's the notes and the question is the quality of the notes so let me ask you um are these notes that were like copied from teacher powerpoint slides or teacher notes or these notes that you made by reading and reading something or notes you made from what the teacher did? Um, I got them from the notes that the teacher put on the PowerPoint. Okay. So teacher given notes is more, I've just taken their ideas and written them here. And so one learning tool is note making which takes our notes to a much deeper level. So now we look at our notes and we say, okay, here's what the teacher said here. What does that mean? What does it mean? And it has to be deeper than just factual. So while Columbus sailed to America in 1492, there were some other things about Columbus that you may need to know. And so you might jot some notes to the side for yourself or draw a little picture or um, something to the side in the in the notes that you took from the teacher that are you making meaning. It's note making. So that's one tool that we look at. How do we make your notes a better resource? Because they're the resource you're rereading from. They're the source you're the resource that you're studying from. So how do we make your notes better? So that's one tool. Then while you're rereading, you said you ask yourself questions, right? Yes. Okay, so that's a tool called question anticipation. And you're anticipating what question could the teacher ask of this? And then that kind of exercise in thought is the tool that's helping you learn. And we can actually improve upon that by asking better questions and deeper questions. 
and less factual based and more connection type of questions. And so she has two tools there she's using. Both we could improve upon and she might even find when I when I do this with my students we actually look at all the things you can do with notes as a resource. And as we look at those different tools, she might decide, oh, I like that one better. That actually would work better for me, the way I think, the way I process, the way things make sense to me. So what we do is we learn different. So that's just, it's just an example of a couple tools. Um, does that make sense? Um, yes, ma'am. I have a question. Yeah. So do we learn better writing our own notes then we do copying notes that the teacher wrote on the board. So like if I were to read the chapter, you know, sometimes the teacher says, read this chapter before we discuss uh, next class. So if I were to read the chapter and then make my own notes, will I remember those better than just waiting and then copying the teacher's notes on the board? Yes. And here's why. Because you are actually making sense of the ideas not just memorizing what the teacher wrote there for you to rewrite. Right. So frequently the questions that students ask of themselves, like Columbus sailed to, the, to America when, and you cover that up, 1492, that is a very, that's a memorization type question. So it ends up that that information becomes memorized versus really learning more about the journey or um, why he sailed here or what were the struggles or what were the struggles when they got here or there were more than one ship so did they have how did they communicate or anything deeper than the factual pieces and so if I am reading and having to make some sense of the ideas to make my own notes I'm already taking it a little deeper than just listening to what the teacher said writing that down if that makes sense. So if we make it a story like in our head, like like you were kind of going deeper, visualizing the journey or whatever, uh, thinking about the ships, even though those questions might not be on the test, they will help us remember the facts that go along with it better. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yes. 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 Okay. So, so, oh, so that's why we like stories so much. I mean, our, we people love to tell stories. You know, movies are stories, books are stories, the Bible is stories, and I guess we're made, like, we're wired like that because that's how we remember. Is that true? Um, it is. I mean, there's, we're not necessarily having a main character and a moral of the story per se. We're just trying to fill out more of the details, uh, more of what happened. Well, if this is history, more of what happened. And as it happened, and I, I want to jump because actually Jenna and I spoke before this podcast about something she learned about hurricanes, and I actually teased out a couple examples with that. So if I could jump to science. Yes. <laughs> so she talked about the same example, but uh, she gave earlier with the question anticipation she gave with hurricanes when we were talking, and she shared that. She would cover it up and, it, and the question would be, what is the wind speed of a hurricane? Or what's the wind speed range? Or what's the, you know, what are the, there, there's a lot of, of terminology that could be what she had covered up around wind speed and hurricanes. But let's say we were to, to go even deeper and say, well, how are hurricanes formed? 
even if that's not on the test, by exploring that and saying, well, I, I, I don't know that I can just explain that in words. So maybe, and this is a different strategy called visualization that you would do when you are studying, is I'm going to actually draw some kind of picture of this. And so how is it formed? So I'm going to draw where it's formed and what has to happen. I'm going to draw this picture, that, or whatever helps me represent represents how it's formed. And I draw this picture. At that point, I've been using my own words I'm comfortable with to describe how this forms. But now I can lay the terminology into it. So now I've got enough of a, a picture here of what's happening, enough to say, oh, here's where wind speed matters. Here's where um, a term like, oh, I, I actually looked up a whole bunch of terms. I don't have them in front of me, but you know, things about um, gust and the categories and atmospheric pressure and all of those terms that I might have learned very separately, I can now put those into my visualization, which represents what I understand right now about how a hurricane forms. So that exercise, that tool actually leads you to deeper understanding. It's connection of all those terms. Even if that's not how it's on the test, going that deep and learning to go that deep is going to serve you well when you get a teacher where it is on the test. Right. And so that's the frustration that I come up with with a number of students that are straight A students doing really well, is they just haven't hit that class. Um, what they have in their toolbox, the tools they have in their toolbox have been sufficient. So they don't necessarily think twice about it. They don't even know what's in their toolbox because whatever they've been doing, it's working. So they're not analyzing it or necessarily thinking a lot about it. They just do it and it's working. But they're going to come to a class, whether it's freshman, senior, college, where that's not going to be enough to understand to the depth they need to for the way the teacher is going to assess them. And that's when it really gets frustrating and it feels like, oh, no, now I just, I just got a test back and it's, there's a D on it. Uh, I am not a D student. What do I do? And there's this panic. And so my work with A students is let's unpack the, the, the tools that you do have. And then let's look at adding some new tools so that you have those when you come across this later. Does, does that? Yeah. So sense? how do we as parents convince our teenagers who may want to only do the bare minimum not you, of course, Jenna, but, <laughs> you know, like, like you need to learn some different study skills because later it's going to be harder. How do we, or do they just have to come to the point where they're struggling? Well, I think it's going to be different for each student. I think some kids, it's going to be, um, it's not until their first F shows up that they'll be like, okay, okay, I'm ready for some help. Or, yeah, I want to do that program now because this class is really hard. There'll be others that say, you know, I'd rather not have to overcome an F. So sure, let's take a look at it. And, but a third, a third approach even, if we'll call it that, is to begin to engage with them when they're studying. So when they go to study, say, hey, I want to study with you on some of this. So let's draw this together. Draw me what you understand of this. And then help me understand. Almost like teach it to me, right. but teach it to me. And then you ask questions like, oh, well, how does this work? Well, why does that work? And then you do the digging. And that just starts to 
let them see the value of doing kind of a deeper dive for all the connection level, even if it's not on the test, that might wake them up to, wow, this, this actually wasn't that hard. Maybe I, maybe I could learn. When they start learning this way with all these different um, tools, do you find that maybe in the beginning it's, it takes them longer to study, but the more that they're, the more they use these tools, the faster they get at learning things like, cause their brain pathways are changing. I don't know. Is that true? Um, you think? Well, let me address the brain pathway second. First, at first, it does feel like, okay, I've got all these choices. What, what do I choose? And so that certainly is part of what we do in the program is start to is have a conversation about which one of these feels most natural in this setting. So some of these tools are come in more handy with science than English writing. And some are way more helpful with writing than they are with science. And so we talk about where these might fit better, but even then there's still a handful they could choose from. So the, the, the other side of it is learning, how do I learn? How am I hardwired to learn? Um, me personally, I'm very, very visual. So I do a lot of drawing out of the relationship between things. And it's not necessarily like, I'm a terrible drawer. Like I don't, <laughs> my, my physics students used to tease me like, Ms. Brownlee, you cannot draw like a car or stick people. You're not very good at that. I don't need to be good at that. I'm just drawing a representation of the picture when, when I draw. Um, I use lots of arrows. I represent what I understand visually that way. Other individuals prefer to write it in more of like paragraph form. There's no right way. There's just which way works better for me. And so right. we learn a little bit about ourselves. I don't necessarily at this at this stage, um, I primarily focus with fifth to 10th graders and I don't dive into personality tests so much. I think they have their value for different kinds, types of discussion, but we do dive into assessments of intelligence, natural intelligence and, and how we're hardwired. And so how do I operate and how does that help me consider what tools would be better for me to choose? And then we take, let's say there's 20 tools, then they narrow it down and say, you know, these are my five favorites. These are the ones that work best for me. And yes, it does. It is over time. That's certainly not done in a couple months. Right. But it will make them better learners long term, certainly long term. Could you really quickly give us like the different kinds of learners there are? Like there's a visual learner. Well, there's there's an kind of an older model is visual kinesthetic audio. And that's still a very popular one. But what they really have found now about that is that any given student learns best if they can do all three in an experience. So if a teacher can set this up in the that A box, the learning experience, if not, then can the learner set up something for themselves that involves all three. So if they are visually drawing something and they're talking it out so they hear themselves mm -hmm. and they're holding a pen or they're touching stuff, then all three are engaged. That's more powerful than any one. That's interesting. So something I've heard recently, and it, and it seems to go along with what you're telling me here, um, a lot of kids these days have laptops, in college especially, where they sit in class and take notes. And this person said, that is not a good idea. You should use a pen and paper because your brain will remember it better. 
So that goes along with what you said, if you're writing it down yourself and not just typing it. Well, so the, so here's where I would separate two. Taking notes in class sometimes is about speed. So the teacher talks and says something, and I've got to get it fast. And so if you can type faster than you can write, and it's more legible, right. then I would say in class, type your notes. But when you come out of class, you have to do that B box of making some meaning yourself. And that might mean rewriting things or drawing a picture of that or mapping out something. So right. it's less about whether I handwrite or type in the moment that I'm gathering notes from a lecturer or a speaker and more about how I engage my hand more so in the B box when I'm doing something to make meaning on my own. That's good. Yeah. So if I come back and I'm writing out things, then the typing just becomes a matter of speed. And that's why I even encourage students that if their teachers allow them, if they're in an in-class setting, can they record Right. The lecture that. Yeah, so that great. they can listen and, and, and listen in real time. Uh, we all know what happens when you are trying to write the same time you're listening. You're actually writing the thought two thoughts ago. And so you miss a chunk. Right. So if I can not be taking notes, but listen and then listen to it later to, to make notes. But all of these do require a commitment of the student to say, I'm going to spend the time doing that because I want to learn it. Right. Yeah, you can't make somebody learn. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I can certainly set up an experience that's rich and and hopefully, like, you can't, what's the saying? You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But you right. can salt the lick. <laughs> right. I so remember I, having a teacher in high school that made it so much fun and interesting that uh, to this day, you know, I still remember that teacher and the, just the feeling I got, you know, like I loved it, loved learning in that class. One thing I think is going to be a struggle with virtual learning is keeping motivation up because the motivations, a student's motivation is already lower in a class they go into every day when there's just read the textbook and take notes or, you know, listen to the lecture and take notes. And it, it feels irrelevant. It feels like, okay, all I need to do is memorize this, jump through the hoop of the test get my A and move on. Like this is never going to matter in my life. But the biggest way to increase motivation is through relevance. And if a teacher can make it relevant, like this matters, this is how this is going to matter for you. If they don't do that, then one strategy I talk with students about is how can you find a way to connect this to your life so that you can motivate yourself to engage at a deeper level than I just want to jump through the hoops. Right. Does that answer your question? Yes, that's yeah. good. You have anything else? Uh, no, I think I just, I just want to encourage um, students out there to consider. For teens listening, I want you to consider this question. What do you do when you study? And if you can be as specific as possible about the actions that you do, and the thinking that you do, that's when you're going to start to uncover what tools are in your toolbox. And if there's a whole bunch of things that you can do or that you do do, then, you know, you have four or five tools in your toolbox. But frequently I find many have like one or two. Like I make flashcards. I just, I look at the notes and make flashcards. They have one tool or 
or they have a really hard time figuring out what they do when they read, well, I don't really know what I do when I reread. And that's when having some discussion and, and learning more about learning tools can help them be better equipped for being a better learner for later. Right. Speak a little bit about uh, multitasking, because a lot of people try to do that, especially teens. Right. Like they'll be texting, studying, listening to music. And back in, you know, everybody used to say multitasking was great. And now they've come to realize that you really cannot do that many things with your brain at one time. Well, certainly not if any one of those is supposed to be deep. So if I'm trying to make sense of ideas in a science class around hurricanes and the teacher lecture, I, I like, I'm not sure I remember everything she said, but her notes are a lot of terminology and I've got to put this all together. Then, you know, some music in the background that's, that is energizing fine. But every time you take your brain away from digging into the connections that you're trying to make for yourself of in the, in the content itself is that much more time that you have to come back and reacquaint and get back in. And so something like texting does take you away because you're going to another conversation and then coming back and, and we don't do that as now. <laughs> I don't if, do that very well. No, <laughs> like, no, but if you're staying I, like, surface, I doing, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're staying surface level, so that so here's the difference. If you're, if my studying is very surface level, I'm just answering some factual questions. Um, then to jump out and in isn't hard. But if I'm diving deep into something, like if I'm really in a book, engaged in the story, and 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 you know I'm there with the characters, and I'm interrupted by a phone call. That's different than if. You know, I'm just kind of casually watching something on TV or or casually reading a story that I can step out of. So I think sometimes when our students, our teens tell us, well, I, I, I can text and I can, you know, peruse Facebook and I can do homework. Some of that's because the homework doesn't necessarily require they go deep. Right. So if they're not choosing to so that they can learn it deeper which you don't have to do that for every topic. You don't have to do that for every homework assignment. I mean, that would be hours and hours. But looking at what are the big concepts in a class that I I really need to get my hands around, especially ones that don't make any sense to me, then I do need to say, uh, and 45 minutes is the max, they say, for brains. And that's for like a really really sharp trained brain 45 minutes is the max of intense focus right so you need to break yeah so i would say for a teen 30 minutes just say i'm not going to text or look at anything else for 30 minutes then i'll do all that and that 30 minutes you'll be surprised how efficient then studying becomes for you if you'll just give it 30 minutes so i think a great uh, tip would be uh, especially now a lot of kids are going doing school from home Make sure your kid has a quiet area with no distractions and encourage them to just get quiet for 30 minutes at a time and then give them a break and let them go do something. Yeah. Well, and so, but keep in mind, um, sometimes silence is actually more distracting. Like I can't work in silence. (laughs) Um, I hear every little thing and it 
distracts me. So I need some noise. But if I'm doing really intense thinking, then I need, I actually turn on classical music. If I'm doing brainstorming, I turn on more energetic, like workout kind of music. I do need some sound. Um, I work really well in Starbucks. The, like the energy of the people milling around, like energizes me. So some of that is finding out, well, what, what is distracting versus what is helpful for your team? Yeah. Siblings fighting is probably not helpful. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> that kind of thing. But certainly that whatever's distraction-free for them, right? Which I would say always is texting. Take that—that's a whole nother conversation happening. That, uh, but the. Um, I think you just have to find out what works for your particular yeah. teen. Um, but th- these are some great strategies. I—I I wish I because you talk about how is this relevant. As an adult, I have spent way more time learning than I ever did as a kid in school. So if I had learned these techniques back then, I could have used them my whole life instead of having to try and figure out now, how can I learn this concept better? Yeah. Right? That on top of we, the workplace now, whether you are working for someone or running your own business, you, things are changing so fast that we are learning new things every day. I mean, think how fast our phones update now, right? you know, or computers, I mean, that's operating system, that's all sorts of things. That's constant change and constant learning. We, you know, I remember when I grew up, things didn't change that fast at all. And so you could get away with thinking that, well, if I just jumped through the hoops of school, that I'm going to get into a job and it's just kind of be cruising. I mean, that's not reality, but it was, you know, it was, there was less things that you were learning day in and day out than nowadays with things changing at the pace they are. So, um, in fact, I, I talked with, uh, I did a survey with man- hiring managers a while back because I was doing a workplace presentation. And the number one skill they look for, the number one feature is learner. Yeah. So the more that a student or a, you know, a teen understands how they learn and has learning tools that not only will they do better in classes as they get harder, they're going to do better in life. Yeah. Cause if you're a learner, they can teach you whatever you need to know. Exactly. doesn't matter what you know now. Right. If someone wants to learn more about what you do, where can they find you? Well, I have a Facebook page. Um, and the link is in the bio with this podcast and there we'll send you everywhere. So the link to my website that describes my program, any of my tools and some of the workshops that go with those that are free right now, um, all of those will be there. And, and then you can find any discussion going on in a Facebook group from there. Cool. What, what free workshop are you, do you have? Right now I'm doing one for parents called Parent Onboarding to Virtual Learning. And what is that involved? What is that about? And well, what we're looking at is we're looking at five areas that are going to help you uh, step into virtual learning at home. Um, Roles and responsibilities, the logistics, learning itself, support and community. And I have a handful of learner tools for you as parents that are going to help you with stepping into virtual learning and leading that at home. 
So that's a great resource for anybody that's nervous or about <laughs> this new uh, world we're living in where they're having to teach their kids at home and they've never done it before. Or even for anybody that wants a little, uh, little bit more help in t helping their kid become a better learner. Just want to thank you for coming on and talking to us today, Jill. It's been very insightful. Well, thank you for having me. It was great. Yes. Um, if you like our content, please visit us at RaisingConfidentTeens.com or join our Facebook community at Raising Confident Teens. We would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. 